Money Sense is brought to you by the Ellenbecker Investment Group, three-time recipient to the Better Business Bureau's Torch Award for Business Ethics and Integrity. The Ellenbecker Investment Group is the only Wisconsin investment company to receive this prestigious award more than once by providing exceptional planning and extraordinary service each and every day. Go to ellenbecker.com. Listen to Money Sense Saturdays at 2 p.m. and Sundays at noon. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellen Becker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellen Becker Investment Group. I want to welcome you to our special series of Money Sense, specifically dedicated to providing valuable information regarding the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic. For nearly 30 years, I have been helping listeners learn how to relate many of life's situations to their finances. This pandemic has caused wide-scale disruption in nearly every sector of our lives. No matter your personal situation, we strive to meet you where you are at, both financially and emotionally. Our guests during this series include a futurist, economist, physician, psychologist, as well as local Milwaukee business professionals to get their perspective on how you can apply their insight and expertise to your financial future. This important series will be aired on WISN AM 1130 during our regular Money Sense times, which are Saturdays at 2 o'clock p.m. and Sundays at noon. They will also be available on demand at ellenbecker.com slash money sense or on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. We hope you will find these informative and be sure to share them with your family and your friends. My guest today is Tim Stanger, and he is a partner, a senior partner, actually, in Stanger Bischoff, which is Bill Bischoff is his partner. And I had an opportunity to get to talk to Tim a little bit, and we started talking about appraisals and art and all the things that are really important to us. And as many of you know, and my clients that listen, when we do your estate plan, we always put in place, you know, a revocable living trust. We put in powers of attorney for health care, powers of attorney for finance, and we look at all your estate planning documents. And the very last piece that comes out is your very personal inventory. And of course, the personal inventory are all those things that are really special to you that you have collected over time and many of them. So for me, I've got five granddaughters and I have five strands of pearls that eventually go to each one of my granddaughters. Many of you that have been in my office know that I love to collect art. And so what happens to that? And how do our families really understand the value and where do they go to and all of those different things that affect us. And of course, when we are looking at what's been happening with the pandemic, we have lost so many people and every one of those persons lives in a house or has a business, has artwork or collectibles that the families are looking at. And I think of something as small as one of my clients had a thimble collection. And I've had clients who have had car collections and stamp collections and coin collections. And I know my daughter, Julie, keeps saying, mom, please take pictures of all your art and tell me what the values are so I know what's good and what's not. And I know that we all hear the stories where things get put into a rummage sale and someone finds it and they have a million dollar painting that, you know, was sold for $15. So today my guest, Tim Stenger, is going to help us to understand that whole collectible 
um, issue and how we deal with it and how our families deal with it. And I also would say how you can do some of the work prior to anything happening to you to make it easier on your kids. So welcome to the show, Tim. Thank you. Good morning. I was going to say, you, you brought up an interesting point. Uh, you, your daughter mentioning that you've got a lot of artwork and, you know, mom, please take pictures of it. Tell me what it's worth. And it is a good idea to take pictures of what, of what you have. Unfortunately, when it comes to uh, securing your collection or your artwork, um, having an inventory is a good idea, but what you really need is what we do, which is we provide an actual certified valuation. So, and the reason I say that is because everybody has some sort of general contents insurance wherever they live, in their home, in their apartment. Um, and that general contents insurance, it, it will cover your everyday items. But if you have items of specific value, where you've got, as you just mentioned, a lot of artwork, those items need to be documented for insurance purposes. And then that appraisal document has to be given to your insurance company, and they will put those items on a separate schedule. And so they will then know individually what paintings, what lithographs that you have, or whatever else it might be that you have. And then if you suffer a loss, if you suffer damage, when you make a claim with your insurance company, they can go back and look at that, uh, that appraisal and look at that schedule and, and remunerate you, hopefully, for, for your loss. So it's a good starting point to take pictures, but it has to be more than that, really, to protect yourself. You know, we do, all of us have homeowners insurance and we have insurance in case of fire. So we've already, we've already said it in our brain that there's a possibility that something like that could happen. And so many of, so many times when I talk to someone who has gone through a fire, lost everything. Yes, that's true. And actually uh, a small anecdote, uh, about two years ago, I was contacted by a uh, gentleman, a physician in Cherry Creek, Colorado, and he was having work done on his residence. He was a collector of everything. When I say everything, I mean everything from some very important uh, uh, artwork by uh, Russian artists. He had African art. He had porcelain and silver and everything you could imagine. He was having work done in his residence, and uh, a fire started, and he had lost everything in the residence. And he had never had evaluation done. And as a result, for him to receive compensation from his insurance company, I literally had to go into the burned out structure, look at what the structure looked like in that present state, and then go back and do a reconstructive appraisal based on photographs he had of his residence before it was destroyed and some receipts to provide a document to the company just so he could be compensated for his loss. And you never want to find yourself in that situation. You really want to... Do this in advance, because hopefully you, know, you won't face that, but you can't predict when something like that could happen. Generally, um, Tim, when we're working with our clients and we talk about the things that they have, um, it ranges, as I said, from a thimble collection, but a lot of people are looking at jewelry. They're right. looking at gun collections, silver collections. Um, a lot of people now have um, porcelain and yes. very expensive dishes. And I know when I was downsizing my house, my daughter said to me, Mom, I don't want anything that can't go in the dishwasher or can't go in the microwave. Sure. And you know, they have some pictures that they like of mine that they've talked about. But what I find is that most of our kids don't want our stuff. 
That's very true too. And what I would say to you about that is that in my almost 30 years of experience, I have come in and done estate valuations. Now, when I say that, I mean, we were just talking about insurance where you do, because there are different types of appraisals. There are different um, methods of valuation based upon what it is you require. So the highest valuation is what is called retail replacement value. That's insurance value. That's if you were to lose something and you have to go into the marketplace and find it again in a retail setting. Then we have the next value down, which is what we typically refer to as fair market value. Fair market value is typically used for estates. Um, some people even refer to it as auction value. That value is a willing buyer and a willing seller agreeing upon a price and being under no duress and what they would pay for it on that day. So when you bring that up, many times I will come to someone's home who is in the process of retiring or downsizing, and they'll say, you know, we've collected all these things for so many years. We need to do some estate planning. Um, what is our collection worth for estate purposes? And then they'll say, as you just mentioned, but, you know, my kids aren't interested. And I can almost guarantee that every time that I've done evaluation, when the children find out that that painting on the wall that nobody cared about <laughs> is actually worth $15,000, then everybody cares, um, which brings in the whole sort of, you know, situation with, you know, beneficiaries. But, right, they, they don't think they want these things. But either way, for the purposes of proper estate planning, you need to have some sense of global value on your collection because, it, of course, it plays into your overall estate and what that estate is worth. And even if eventually you say, okay, you know, he did a valuation for us, um, my collection is worth $500,000, you may not, they may not want it, but at some point it's going to have to be dispensed with when you pass away and divide it up equally. So we have to have some value. And, and also, of course, for probate too. Yes, if, if somebody is going to um, gift to a charity, which of those evaluations do they use? Because if they want to gift something, they're going to sell it, but they have to gift it to the charity. The answer to that is simple but complex. <laughs> so, so if you're doing evaluation for the purposes of a charitable donation, you will usually use, again, fair market value. You're making a donation, but, you know, but it's, it's got to be, uh, you know, what, what it's going to be worth in the open marketplace as a way to um, assess the value. Now, as you probably well know, the IRS requires that if you make a donation and it is, it is in excess of $5,000, you must file the IRS form for the donation and you must attach an appraisal with that, that form. That can be very straightforward. You know, you've got a $20 million Picasso painting and you're going to donate it to uh, the Milwaukee Art Museum. <laughs> okay, so you're going to make a charitable donation. So that's one thing. The complexity can be, and this actually goes into the area of art law, is that there have been instances where somebody, let's say, a good example is a collector of gems, and they have an enormous collection of sapphires and rubies and other types of barrel or whatever and they want to donate it to a college. Um, but their purpose for donating is not just um, because they're altruistic, they're also looking for uh, a way to receive uh, some form of deduction. 
So they say, okay, uh, I'm going to donate this and it's worth $4 million. And so they get it valued. That donation goes to the IRS and the IRS says, no, it's not worth $4 million. Why is the IRS saying it's not worth $4 million? They're saying it's not worth $4 million because they're saying that you're going to give this group of gems to this university. Um, and the number of those gems and the fact that it is uh, our belief that the university will probably end up taking those gems and selling them to utilize the cash means that you're going to be put flooding the market with all of these sapphires. Ah. And, so, and so that's going to then reduce the value of them because you're putting so many on the market. And so then what you have to apply is what is called a block discount. Because if you know that the, that the uh, uh, donee is going to take your donation and then sell it and it reduces the price, then it's not fair for you to get as high of a valuation as you believe you should get. The complex side. So the interesting fact here is that it really is, once again, the most important thing is to plan. If you have collections and if you do want to ultimately know that you're going to sell them or gift them, to have those appraisals and put in place a plan as to how you want to distribute them, maybe over time rather than all at one at one point. That's exactly when- right. When you are doing an appraisal, I mean, talk a little bit about your background and how you got interested in this. It's very complex. I mean, I think of one of my clients who had me come over to their house to look at their collections. And part of what he considered his collection was all these animals that he had shot, bears. Uh, yes, taxidermy. How do you focus on all these different things that people don't even consider or sure. think about? Sure. And, and then let me say that, uh, again, uh, taxidermy is another complex area of valuation because many auction houses will not sell some of the items. Some of the items are not saleable. And typically, when you uh, are a collector of taxidermy and you choose to sell, it all depends upon the state that you're in. And you will typically have to contact the Department of Natural Resources and make sure that you have the proper certificates for the animals that you have collected, <laughs> you, you hunted, and so that you know you can sell them. Um, and that, that could be a whole other topic of discussion. But background-wise, I'm from Wisconsin. I was born in Janesville, Wisconsin. And um, growing up, my father was a physician in Milwaukee and was interested in collecting. And so about the time I was 10 or 11 years old, I used to go with him to auctions. And we used to go to Milwaukee Auction Galleries, which was in Brown Brown Deer once upon a time. We used to go to Schrager Auction, which was over uh, in Milwaukee off of Sherman Boulevard. And there was also another auction house in Wauwatosa called Travis. Now, this was back in the 70s and 80s when there were still quite a few storefront auction houses uh, in Wisconsin. And so I'd sit with my dad and I'd hold the catalog while he was bidding and I'd write down the, uh, when the hammer would come down on an item, I'd write down how much the, that item sold for. <laughs> and so that's how I really got interested in it, was just going with him and seeing all, all the things. And then after that, when I went to, I finished, I went to Lawrence University, got my BA in history, but was really interested in art history. And one of my professors said, why don't you consider art history? So I thought about that. Ended up in Denver at the University of Denver in the art history program. And soon thereafter, decided that I would 
apply for a program that Sotheby's Auction House in New York offered, which was their decorative arts program. So I spent the next two years in, in New York uh, at Sotheby's learning the trade, learning how to value, and becoming acquainted with all the different types of things that are auctioned. So that's really how I got into this. And then came back to Colorado and uh, started an investment advisory firm. I was a registered investment advisor. So became very well acquainted with people's portfolios, uh, with equities, with estate planning. And over time, a lot of my clients said, you know, they themselves had collections. And they said, you know, what, how does this factor into what we have in addition to our portfolio? And over time, I began doing valuations for their collectibles and left the investment advisory world and began doing appraisals full time. And that's what I have is an RIA, a registered investment advisory firm. Mm -hmm. And we do find that with our clients, some of them have things that are very dear to their heart that don't have a lot of value, but very often they have things that have been passed down from generation to generation, and they really don't know if they are valuable or not. Maybe what we should do is take a quick break. And when we come back, talk about some of the things that you have appraised and to give people an idea of the things that they should be considering. You know, we see the things in our house every single day and we don't often um, recall what we paid for. And that will be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker. My guest today is appraiser Tim Stenger, and he is a senior partner with the firm Stenger and Bischoff. And they do certified evaluations of all kinds of different um, objects, paintings, art, I'm guessing just about anything you can imagine. And Tim, before we took our last break, I had mentioned this just to give people an idea of some of the things that they might want to consider. So for example, you know, I know most of my clients have silver collections handed down from generations and families. And I mean, I don't even want to polish silver anymore. Are those the things that we should be melting down or are they things we should be holding on to or give us an idea of what to do with some of the collectibles? Right. So first and foremost, you're correct. We, we value everything uh, and have valued everything. The only thing that we don't do specifically is when we will come into an estate, for instance, um, and the estate needs pretty much all of the contents valued. If there's jewelry, uh, we work with different certified gemologists who will do the jewelry. And that's because, of course, when you're dealing with, uh, with gems, you need to have someone who's certified uh, by the GAA who can, can look at a diamond, look at an emerald, and be able to tell us you know, what, what the quality is and, and what the value is. But we will and have valued everything else. Um, you mentioned silver. Absolutely. Uh, and that's a, a good one to bring up right now because the spot price of silver has gone up substantially in the last several weeks, along with uh, other precious metals. It's oftentimes contingent upon what the goals of the estate are. So normally I would not recommend that somebody, if they have a bunch of silver, would just take it and, and scrap it and melt it down. That's because first you need to know if you've got a silver service, you know, what is it? You know, who's the silversmith? Is it Tiffany? Is it Gorham, which is one of the you know, great American manufacturers of silver, um, or any other number of companies? And then, of course, you need to know what the pattern is because, you know, if it's Tiffany, if it's Gorham, if it's a very early pattern, it, it can be very rare, and that will add substantially to the, the value of the item. 
as opposed to if you, for instance, just have a lot of random silver pieces that, again, are not of any particular import in terms of their maker. So I would never recommend just, just scrapping them. Um, but yes, you know, you you need to certainly assess the value. And I always ask people when I come into a home and they say, I've got this artwork that I need valued. I've got some furniture. And I will sit down with them and I will always ask them, do you have any silver? What about jewelry? Do you have coins? Do you have stamps? Because a lot of times they're thinking about, you know, I've got all this artwork but they're forgetting, uh, as one of my clients did uh, last year, that her husband had accumulated two crates of silver bars that were sitting in their basement. <laughs> and she said, oh, you know, I think there's silver down there. And I'm thinking, oh, really? We went down there, and these two crates were full, not of ingots, but actual bars of silver that were worth about, at the time, $5,000 a piece. So sometimes people are focused on one thing but not the other. So yes, you, you need to consider all of those aspects. And porcelain, you mentioned porcelain. Porcelain in evaluation for you know, an estate can be important. Again, if it's the right porcelain manufactory, you know, if it's something that stands out as being relatively rare. But porcelain in terms of value has dropped sharply because as you, as you yourself mentioned, you know, my daughter doesn't want anything she can't put in the dishwasher. And people just don't use it anymore. And it's a shame they don't use it anymore. And so literally, if you go to a local auction, you may see a hundred piece set of porcelain sell for $10. And that's because nobody wants it. Conversely, and this brings up, I think, an interesting point of difference in values. Many times, of course, the value, if you're valuing something for insurance purposes is going to be markedly different than it is for the purposes of perhaps saying, what's it worth in the fair market? I want to sell it. Because the replacement value of a set of porcelain from 1950, that's Noritake, uh, you know, porcelain for insurance purposes might be $500 to replace it. But if we're going to take it to the auction and sell it, it may only be worth $50. What about things I know a lot of clients have coin collections. They've collected silver dollars. Yes. Right. Is that something that you just melt down? Or is no, absolutely used? not. First and foremost, you have to know what it is that they have. Are they Morgan silver dollars that were minted between 1878 and uh, 1904 and then again in 1921? Are they peace dollars? Um, if they're, and if they're, or are they earlier than that? Um, are they graded? meaning have they been sent to uh, a company that can grade them in terms of their quality and their mint condition. Um, you, you need to know first what the nature is of what they have, because they may have some very important and very valuable examples, you know, key dates. Many times people just have what we call hordes of, of coins. And I've run into that where they've just amassed bags full of silver quarters <laughs> pre-1964. And in that case, yes, you, unless we need to value them because the attorney for the estate says we have to, um, and they say, or they just want to get the money out of them, we can take them, we can, we'll take them to a silver person and we'll, we'll scrap them. It just depends on, again, what the nature of the collection is. 
We're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, let's talk about the actual process. Somebody gives you a phone call, an attorney, as you said, it could be an estate attorney. Most of your business is through referral. Um, what is the process for somebody if they're listening to our conversation today and they're kind of looking around their room and thinking, wow, that's a painting we've had for a really long time. Or, yeah, dad gave all these coins is, you know, I just inherited them when grandpa or dad died or a gun collection or they're sitting there and or jewelry that they've had and maybe sitting in their safe and they're wondering what they're going to do with it. And of course, when somebody passes away, the trustee steps into their estate and has to decide what to do with this and often doesn't really know what to do with it. So if you could just lay out the process that you go through, that would be great. We're going to take a quick break. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, the founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. And I was talking to my guest today, Tim Stenger, and mentioning that, you know, this is our really starting our 31st anniversary of Money Sense. And within this last six months, decided to do a series called Conversations That Matter, really talking about all the things that have affected people during this pandemic and the COVID-19 and helping people to really get a handle on what they can do and what some of their options are. And of course, so many people have gotten sick. This is the first time, I think, certainly in my life, but I think in all of our lives where collectively we've all thought at one time, what happens if I die? I mean, what happens if I get sick? What happens if I die? We've talked a lot about estate planning. And one of the pieces that is so vitally important with estate planning is to make sure that you understand what your estate is worth, what the valuations are, what you have, because many times when somebody passes away, it's uh, it's frantic and people don't know what to do and they have to clean out a house or they have to do things. And many times we hide things in our house and we don't tell people where they are and they find them. And uh, so it's really important to have an inventory. And I've invited Tim Stenger, who is a partner, a senior partner with Stenger and Bishop Certified Evaluators, to really talk to us about the importance of having a certified valuation. And I guess for those people who are out there thinking, I really should do this, what does that process look like, Tim? Right. So first and foremost, when someone will call us, we'll discuss on the phone with them what the nature uh, of the potential valuation is what are the items they have, what are uh, are they thinking that they need, and then we will go and sit down with them, go through the location, walk through, have a look, because of course we want to let them know if we really think they need evaluation, because not everyone does need evaluation. Then I will explain the process, and most people have not ever seen what we call a certified valuation. So just to to quickly explain that, a a certified valuation an appraisal is a document that has to follow what are called the uniform standards of professional appraisal practice. What that means is that when we write a valuation for a client, it has to follow certain parameters. What that means is, is a typical appraisal document will, on the first page, will state who it's for whether it's for the estate of someone, whether it's for a certain company or a private individual, it will tell you the period of time that the valuation occurred within in terms of when did we start, when did we finish. Then the next segment of the document will have 
what I would call legalese, which is it explains, you know, again, who this is for, the period of time that this was executed, what method evaluation we used. It will state the total value of all the items of the document, and it will also define the method evaluation. So as we discussed earlier, it will say the purpose of this valuation is for fair market value defined as a willing buyer and a willing seller agreeing under no duress to sell and buy an item. The main body of the document is the is the catalog of values itself. Oftentimes it can, if it's in a large estate, we might divide up that catalog into headings, fine art, decorative art, silver, porcelain, that kind of thing, or we might do it room by room. Uh, and then we will list all the different items of furniture, all the different items of, of artwork. Um, then, and that catalog will have catalog headings, just as, as if you were looking in an auction catalog, where we'll say something like a, uh, uh, a George III mahogany bow front chest, and it will say a date, you know, circa 1790 to 1810. Then there'll be photographs of the item. Then there'll be a description of the item. Then there'll be condition descriptors. What condition is this item in? There'll also be dimensions so that anyone looking at it can see what the actual size of the item is. And then there'll be an assigned value. The next segment that uh, must be in a certified document is the justification section. That is my narrative as the appraiser um, as to why I value these items the way that I did. I have to justify for the court, for uh, the insurance company, for whomever it is that is looking at this document, why I did this. I'll discuss the market. I will say the primary market for these items is the Milwaukee metropolitan area. Therefore, those items have been based upon that market because that's where these things are. However, many times we'll list other markets because if it's something Again, let's say a Picasso lithograph. Well, Picasso lithograph, we have to look at the Milwaukee market, but we also need to look at Chicago. We may need to look at foreign markets to get a true sense of what the real value of this item is. So there'll be a justifications section where I will support my reasons for valuing. And I will also make recommendations as to what to do next. And then finally, the document will have a comparable section. So just as if you were valuing real property, if there are certain items of substantial value, I need to support that with other comparables. So if I've got that Picasso lithograph and it's a known lithograph with a known title, I will list at least three or more uh, other examples of that item and what it's sold for to support that value. So that, that's what the document looks like. And I tell people that it, it is a research document because many times a lot of research is involved. Sometimes items are easy. They're, they're readily uh, identifiable. Uh, but sometimes they're not. And that, of course, is going to determine how much time the valuation is going to take. Uh, so that is, the, that is what a document looks like. That is what it must look like to pass muster if uh, the IRS is going to look at it again or if, it's going to, if, it's, you know, if there's a estate proceedings, divorce proceedings can be any number of reasons. Uh, so that's how it has to look. So I will explain that to, to the client. Um, and I will tell people that it, oftentimes it is not an inexpensive process because there is time required um, to put this all together. At the same time, I will remind clients that if you don't have this document done, especially if there's a need for it, uh, and you leave yourself sort of open, you end up in situations like my client I described uh, from a few years ago who lost the entire contents of his residence because he just didn't get around to it. 
Um, and then, then he's going to have to pay for it no matter what, because now the insurance company has to have something because they can't pay him just based upon, you know, saying, you know, oh, I had a Picasso in my trunk. Well, okay. How do we know you had a Picasso in your trunk? It just doesn't work that way. And then, as I say, I'll make recommendations. So typically, um, right now, we have a, a client who uh, the, the wife passed away. She was a prodigious accumulator of jewelry, uh, of clothing, of artwork, of glass. Um, and so this client said, okay, my wife has passed away. I need to dispose of all of this. So what do we do? So typically, if we do evaluation, or sometimes if we don't, and we just act as um, the agent for the estate, we will give them recommendations of how to dispose of these items. And again, that goes back to what is the nature of the item. So if it's bags and bags full of quarters, silver quarters, that's relatively easy. Um, I will add that many times we encounter estates where things may not necessarily need to be valued, where it may just be a situation where they just need guidance on how to sell. However, there are situations, and I'm sure Karen, you've run into these a few times before, where unfortunately the heirs to the estate are not on friendly terms and they cannot agree. Yes. As a result, we have to do evaluation no matter what. One of the things that we find is because we, we really, um, where we start with our clients for the very beginning is with an estate plan to really have a solid foundation. And so everything for our clients, as far as their financial pieces are black and white and they're very simple. What happens, you know, the trustee steps in and it says black and white, what happens with the finances and the money and the house. But the one thing that causes so many disruptions is the stuff people fight over stuff and you know, sometimes they're fighting over it because there's value and often they fight over it because there's emotion. Both of them are absolutely destructive. Right. If there isn't some guidance, how to um, disperse those things. And I have seen so many families who were close, not be able to get over something. And my famous story is when I was getting married and you're familiar with what I ordered my China, my Lenox China and, you know, all the different things. And, um, I was just getting ready to pick out my crystal. And my mother said to me, you don't have to get crystal because I've got crystal. Dad bought it when he was in the service and it's beautiful. And I can still remember my mother washing that crystal this emotional vision around it. And she said, you're going to get my crystal and your brother's going to get the silver. And so, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago or more, we're at Easter at my mother's house and I'm putting water into these glasses. And I said, mom, you know, someday I'm going to set my table with these glasses. And she said, oh no, I gave them to your sister. Honestly, I would have gone to the mat with my sister when my mom died, if I hadn't known she had given them away. And I was very hurt. And, you know, and, but here I've got this great story to share with my listeners is that, you know, we forget what we've told our kids and they don't forget. That's right. <laughs> so we're going to take a quick, quick break. And again, let's talk about some of the types of things that people should be considering to think about getting evaluations um, and these certifications done. With that, we'll be right back.
Welcome to Money Sense. My guest today is Tim Stanger, and he is a senior partner with Stanger and Bischoff, and they do evaluations on all types of art, and if they don't actually have the expertise to do it, they have contacts and partnerships with other people who can offer help to an estate to figure out what a true valuation is. And, you know, Tim, we were talking during the break, and um, it's not, sometimes it's the ugliest vase that has the most value. Well, right. And that's, of course, because as with all art, it's all very subjective, isn't it? You can you can grow up in a house where everyone, your, your siblings all say, that's the ugliest thing that mom ever collected. And come to find out, you know, it, it turns out to be by some famous sculptor and it's worth $100,000. That, that's very true. And, and that goes back to, to what we do, which is when we meet with the client and we are admitted into their residence, or even if it's a, a, a company, who has a collection in their offices, we will go through, we will look at everything, we'll do a walkthrough, and then we'll advise them if we think something should be done or not. What we then do, of course, is, and this is very important, when we start the valuation, we will look at almost everything. We will document almost everything um, in the in the location. It doesn't mean that we'll value everything because we will go back and we'll look at some pieces and we'll say, you know, this probably doesn't need to be included in the valuation um, in terms of, of thinking of the cost involved for the client. But we'll look at everything because what often happens is, and it's not because someone who's doing the, the valuation is, is not doing their job, but a lot of times people will not look carefully enough and look for a signature. Or with paintings, we always take them off the wall and we look on the back because a lot of information on items is hidden on the back of artwork that might not be readily available just looking for a signature on the front. And we'll look at sculptures and look and try to find the the signature, try to find the foundry mark. We want to be as thorough as we can because it goes back to the fact that we don't want to miss something that is of, of substantial value. In terms of what you should be valuing, that's, I think for the most part, pretty self-evident. Um, certainly your artwork needs to be valued, especially if it's original artwork, um, especially if it's original lithography. Um, again, you know, we when we come in, uh, we'll look at things very closely. We use a, we use a loop, we use flashlights because we want to make sure that uh, something that someone thinks is an original work of art actually doesn't have little dots on it, meaning that it's basically a, a poster. Certainly you want to do your artwork. Certainly you want to do your, your silver. Of course you want to do your jewelry. Furniture, for the most part, yes. Again, contingent upon what your goal is. You know, if everything needs to be valued because you're doing this for insurance purposes and you spent a great deal of money on your furniture, then yes, we would want to include that um, as part of your insurance valuation. If we're coming into your home and you are trying to get a, a sense of value on your overall collection, your everyday furniture doesn't need to be valued. We're, we're not going to do that. Certainly rugs, uh, Persian rugs, uh, very important. Of course, coin collections, of course, stamp collections. Um, and then, you know, decorative arts. Do you have decorative glass? You know, and, and then what we call smalls. Smalls can be any number of things. It can be, you know, small porcelain heron figurines you've collected. It could be Mycin, it could be Dresden, it could be things that have been in your family for many years. And these types of things tend to be of, of modest to great value sometimes. Your vehicles, especially if you're a collector of vehicles. 
but there are times that we do, for instance, we have a, a client uh, in uh, Wisconsin out in Lake Country who is selling his home and we valued his contents because he wasn't going to take them to his next home. But we also valued all of his farm equipment because he was using that on his property, but he no longer needs, needs it. So what's it worth so I can consider selling? At the same time, there are people you come into their house and they've got buckets full of Beanie Babies. <laughs> you know, do, do you need to value those? Probably not. But at the same time, we are, of course, at the behest of the client. And if the client wants to know what their Beanie Baby collection is worth, there's no reason why we won't value it for them. You Military know, and firearms, very important to value those. There's a great deal of value there. And what about some of the old metals? Those are all family heirlooms, but do they have any values? Uh, well, it depends. You know, you obviously, you know, especially in the last 10 years, um, you've had a lot of uh, gentlemen pass away who are in the Second World War, and there'll be, uh, you know, medals that were given, you know, to them for being in the Second World War. Those tend to be more common. But a lot of times, yes, uh, earlier medals can be valuable not only for what they are, but even for their metal content. So that's all part of military. Photographs daguerreotypes, tintypes, those types of things, if people have those, can be very valuable. So just about everything. So Tim, what would you like to leave our listeners with? What are some of the things that you see, and I see this as an integral part of your estate planning, and so many people are downsizing. You know, our kids don't want a lot of this, and a lot of times we have things that are worth a lot that we don't even understand. And so what would you leave our listeners with today? Well, what I would say is, and I don't want to sound too much of a cliche, but, you know, you know, knowledge is value. It's important to know what you have to protect yourself, to protect your estate. And a lot of people, I think, tend to put off doing this type of valuation the way that people tend to put off doing their will. Uh, and just, I'll do it tomorrow, I'll do it tomorrow, I'll do it. And I think that people, you know, owe it to themselves to protect themselves and, and know what it is that they have, not only for themselves, but for their, for their heirs. And, and also because, as you say, a lot of people are downsizing. And so if they're not going to keep their collections, they need to have a roadmap of what they have and where it should go to first before they make any decisions as to how to sell it. Because so often people uh, end up letting their collections go and then finding out later that they were given away. And that's the last thing we want to do. You know, we're independent arbiters. We have no interest in the property. We're just there to help you, let you know what the value is, and then give you some good solutions if you choose to let those things go where they should go to you know, maximize your return on what you've collected over the years. You can reach Tim at stengerbischoff.com. It's S-T-E-N-G-E-R-B-I-S-C-H-O-F-F.com. The phone number is 303-548-8614. Again, that's 303 303- Five four eight eight six one four, and of course we have his number. And I would I would also just mention that you can go to ellenbecker.com, go to radio shows, and you can go to Money Sense. And if you have a loved one, if you have a, a relative or a business owner that you know of that has collectibles, you can ask them to listen to this radio show. Um, it will be on our website and easy to share with someone as well. So again, my guest today is Tim Stanger. He is a partner, a senior partner with Stanger and Bischoff. You can reach him at 
548-8614. You can go, he's got a great website, stengerbischoff.com. And I really appreciate this. And when you're in town, Tim, you have to stop at our office because many years ago uh, we went to one of those little antique stores and there happened to be eight of these pictures that I just loved in black and white. And I brought them home and didn't even think anything of them. And when I went ahead and framed, they said they were original silver screen prints, posters that they used in movie theaters. Really? And I had no idea what the value is. Um, but I know when I say it sideways, I can see the silver flecks on them. And right. on the back of the pictures had the name of the movie. But those are the types of things that were just a goofy thing that happened. And so I think I paid $25 a print or something and a fortune for the glass and the wood. I can was, imagine. It was one of those crazy things, you know. But those are the types of things that our kids don't know. They're the types of things that we have in our house yep. and um, and our businesses. I mean, my art collection is really uh, in, mostly in my business, not my home. So mm-hmm. I would recommend to my clients to give you a call and to my Thank listener, you. evaluate the things that they have. And it really does help you to understand what you have. But it also simplifies things for your heirs and the people who are going to have to go through these things. And also you may choose to do some gifting to charities. I mean, there's a lot of different opportunities that you have. Very true. Thank you very much. Thank you. And as always, I hope everybody has a great weekend. And thank you again, Tim, very much. Thank you for tuning in to our COVID-19 edition of Money Sense. Our goal is to provide valuable information so that you can feel more confident in your financial decisions. You can listen to this show and any that you may have missed at ellenbecker.com slash money sense or on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. To discuss these topics and more with one of our wealth advisors, call us at 262-691-3200 or visit ellenbecker.com for a complimentary consultation.